Yeah, and I think that generally speaking, we're excuse me. <laughs> it's easy to be negative, but it's. But generally speaking, we're, we're pretty positive. I was thinking about this the other day. It's easy on Twitter and Facebook to be very negative and, and attack and, and go in the attack mode. But if you listen to you know our, our episodes, we we do try to construct something. We do try to apply uh, principles in a positive way, positive meaning, trying to you know affirm uh, good things and and uh, not just critique, not just have a kind of sort of negative negativity the whole time. So yeah, that's that's huge. <laughs> Would Albert Muller fall anywhere within your line of thinking? <laughs> uh, I'll let Thomas answer that. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Joel Sedecase. In 2009, I left my job in the business world to teach Bible at a Christian high school in Chicago. Impacted by my students' questions, I set out on a journey that brought me first to seminary to study apologetics and philosophy of religion, and then into pastoral ministry. As a pastor, I saw firsthand the struggle of believers confronted with questions of life that at first seemed impossible to answer and the powerful confidence that came when they saw how God's Word gives the answers and guidance they needed. I had a dream to spread that message and equip more followers of Jesus, so my family and I joined Crew and launched the Think Institute. Now, I'm on a mission to equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message by applying timeless biblical truths to current cultural challenges. I don't have all the answers, but I'm determined to find them. And through this show, I'm reporting back to you, the Think Squad, what I discover. Welcome to the Think Podcast. Really quickly before we start, learning how to interpret all of life through the lens of God's Word takes a lot of work, more than just one or two podcast episodes a week. If you have an interest in the intersection between the biblical worldview and biblical manhood and current events, as I do, as well as philosophy, theology, and many, many leather-bound books, consider joining our free online community, the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and on Signal. There you can join hundreds of other Christ followers who are also on the same journey, and we trade apologetic stories and strategies, we discuss philosophy and theological questions. It's like a huge bull session around a bonfire in your backyard or at your favorite cigar lounge. So check out the Think Squad group on Facebook, Gab, and Signal. All right, well, this is the Think Institute podcast, and I'm Joel Sedecase. Really quickly, want to introduce myself. If you're new to the show, maybe you were listening to the 12 Days of Christmas that we did here on the ThinkPod, and you're like, hmm, I wonder what this show is all about. I wonder if they have any more interesting and engaging episodes. Well, the good news is you definitely tuned in on the right day because we have got what the Brits might call a barnstormer today. But uh, before we get into it and I introduce our guests and allow them to introduce themselves, Let me just introduce myself in case you don't know who I am. So I am the founder and lead teacher of the Think Institute. And what we do is we resource families to think and engage biblically. And the goal of this podcast is to help dads lead their families in explaining, sharing, and defending the Christian message. So we get into a lot of different subjects. We're all about answering those impossible questions, confronting and answering current cultural challenges with timeless biblical truth. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing today. Um, if you don't 
No, my story, um, I'm happily married to Elisa. I'm a, a father of four, and we live somewhere in the Chicagoland, Fox Valley region of Illinois. Uh, I've done some uh, some writing and some podcasting and some content creation, things like that, but you're not here to listen to me. You're here to find out how to engage politically. So that's enough of me. Um, now let's pass it over to my co-host, Prof. Keldun Schweiss. How you doing, Prof.? <laughs> doing great say better than i deserve right I'll say that <laughs> amen would you tell us a little bit about yourself sure so i i have been associate professor of philosophy at the city colleges of chicago for over a decade now i absolutely love what i do i'm shocked i get paid for it and i'm also in my other life a christian life coach my goal is to equip men specifically to be more productive passionate purposeful and peaceful in their lives in the lives of those that they interact with. Uh, I like to say that I, I don't do jokes like the Germans. Uh, I saw this German commercial once. <laughs> there was this guy telling jokes and nobody was laughing at the bar. <laughs> and uh, the guy looks at uh, uh, the other guy says, uh, we are Germans. We do beer, not jokes. <laughs> awesome. I, I just say I do ideas and very little uh, much else. So. <laughs> All right. Um, now let's introduce our guests, Stephen Wolf and Thomas Acord are our guests today. Stephen, why don't you start by telling us about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, I guess uh, uh, in terms of denominational background, I'm, I'm Presbyterian. Uh, I've been Presbyterian for a few years at least. Uh, and uh, going, um, I, I'll spare you my theological journey. But it went from atheist to Presbyterian, so I'm happily uh, at Presbyterian. Wow. Um, uh, I currently live in New Jersey. Uh, I did grads, uh, graduate school, uh, in political theory and philosophy at LSU. Uh, that's where I met Thomas. Um, and, uh, now, now I'm at, uh, I have a postdoctoral fellowship at the James Madison program, uh, that's at Princeton university. So I'm doing that now and I work on, uh, broadly I'd say Protestant political theory, uh, but my historical emphasis is on early American political thought from the Puritans to the American founding. So that's some of the work I'm doing now. I'm at Princeton. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely jealous that you get to be at Princeton. If for nothing else, then they have maybe the most beautiful campus. I just love the architecture there at Princeton. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's wonderful to walk through there. It's, it's a little... I guess my pessimistic uh, um, negative nature gets a little uh, is a little uh, upset with the kind of the state of Princeton, given its origins. Was I, I actually I wrote a thesis on John Witherspoon, who was a president there around the founding era. Um, but it is it is beautiful. So, but it's 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 great to imagine uh, Madison. And, and Witherspoon walking around uh, and and them studying and, and lecturing. Fantastic. All right, Thomas Acord, could you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure, thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, my name is Thomas Acord. I live in Louisiana, and I'm the headmaster of a classical school down here called Sequitur. I've been involved in classical education for a while. I also teach online. Um, I... Uh, actually studied theology. I went to LSU for history, then I went to Southern uh, for theology. 
and um, do a podcast with Stephen. I have uh, was mentioning earlier before we started recording that I, I've published a few anthologies, I would call them. One of them is a reader, one's an anthology. Both of them center on uh, political thought, political writings. And um, yeah, it's a little bit about me. I'm happily married. I have four, four daughters. So they keep me uh, occupied pretty much full time. And it's, uh, it's really great. So happy to be on. Thanks, guys. That's fantastic. And uh, we also found out backstage, we have another connection. Well, you told right. me uh, Tom Brewer is your right. father-in-law. That's right. And yeah. Tom Brewer and I hit the streets down in New Orleans last year at Declaring Truth at Mardi Gras. And uh, yes. just the man is an absolute dynamo, loves the Lord. <laughs> and um, I don't know, what do you think? Is dynamo the right word to describe Tom? Yeah, he actually, outside of street preaching, he's very calm. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't, he's, he's mild mannered, he's soft spoken, but he does a lot of street preaching or witnessing. For instance, he goes down all the time to the abortion mill uh, in Baton Rouge and he is definitely, um, he, he finds his voice in those moments. Definitely. Very cool. Well, I met him through Zoe White who runs declaring truth at Mardi Gras and, um, it, it was a wonderful experience. So very cool to find out we have that connection. Yeah. So you guys host the Ars Politica podcast. And I got to tell you, I'd never heard of Ars Politica until I decided I was going to do a little bit of market research. So as you can see, I host a podcast and I'm always interested in like, what are the people... The people who are the who are my potential listeners and my actual listeners, what else are they listening to? So I'm in a number of different Facebook groups, and I put out a, a, a question in all these different Facebook groups that I'm a part of. Hmm. That you know, groups that I thought would reflect sort of my target audience. And I said, "What other podcasts do you guys listen to? What do you listen to?" And ours Politica kept on coming up. It was one of the the top mentioned podcast and i'm like what is ours politica <laughs> and um so looked you guys up and started listening started following uh you know sent your friend requests on facebook and whatnot and mm-hmm. seeing how your facebook feeds are filled with um old uh classical architecture and um <laughs> and like these throwbacks to uh to, to bygone days and and i'm like yeah, yeah. i really like the cut of these guys jib here and uh and, you know, let, let's see what they're all about. So I started listening to your show. And I, my only complaint about your show is um, I wish there were more episodes to listen to. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's, it's oh, excellent. Thanks. thanks. Yeah. So so why why start Ars Politica? Why get involved in politics? Like, what, what a headache to have to follow all these political <laughs> trends. Why, why wade into that world? Man, I think for me... I, I recall something that C.S. Lewis said, I'm going to have to paraphrase him, but the reason that the reason that we or I got into it is because there's just so much bad uh, politics out there, especially my opinion uh, in the evangelical world. When we hear people talking politics, it's often uh, it's just, it's really, I don't want to say misinformed. That's not the right (laughs) word. It's just, it's confusing. It's not even clear what it is people are saying. And yeah, normally I, I would rather be someone like 
George Washington, like mining my business out on my house in the country or something. But there's there's just a lot of bad out there. And so if, for no other reason, we need to get out and correct things, at least from, from my perspective. Uh, well, another yeah. reason I got into it, sorry, was to um, I, I started teaching it at school and I studied it some in college as well. And so those are my prior interests. But the, the reason for the podcast is that that makes sense for me. You know, sorry to cut you off there, but um, part of the joy of doing these these remotely instead of all in person, um, talking over each other like that. Uh, but <laughs> you know, even George Washington, uh, his ideal life, of course, was on his farm, and yet right. when duty called, he he did the um, the Cincinnatus thing, and uh, you guys will appreciate that that old classical reference, I'm sure. <laughs> and he uh, he he entered the fray, defeated the British, and then. He went back and returned to his farm. So, you know, maybe Thomas, after all this cultural and political insanity is over with and we've def- defeated yeah, the yeah, left, yeah. you know, hey, then you can return back to your, your farm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to make myself out to be George Washington. I don't mean that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have delusions of grandeur, but that's just the first. Neither did he. For me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stephen, uh, anything you want to add to that? Why? Why Ars Politica? Why this partnership between the two of you? You, know, you, you met down there at Yeah, so, uh, I mean, yeah, we, we lived close uh, to one another. And uh, it was one, one day I, I had dinner at his house. And, you know, my wife and I, I think, yeah, my kids and everyone, we all went out there. And then, and, but he and I started talking. And, and I, I, don't, I don't remember if it was me or him, but we, we all just, we, we both kind of said, you know, we should just turn this, like this could, people might like to listen to this. And if they don't, who cares? <laughs> so we, <laughs> we, 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 yeah, we, we literally said that, well, you know, we might get a few people listening to us, who knows, but at least it'll give us the chance to state things that, that we, we believe are important um, in kind of a, I guess, a unique way. I think within our circle of reform Protestants, there, there is, I think that people needed um, some kind of voice that that's on the right, that is Protestant. And that's not your typical conservative, you know, I guess you guess center, right, or, or um, mainstream conservative talking points. And so we, we've been trying to fill that, that gap, um, as best we could and we've had pretty decent success we don't do a lot of marketing we just record an episode maybe once a week or every two weeks and it's, people have been really receptive so it's it's been great who's an example of somebody who's not what you're trying to do like the the, the center right christian conservative <laughs> who's who, who's who's your who's the anti-arts politica out there <laughs> Come on, name so, names. Stacey, you want us to name names. It's yes. Yeah, yeah. Name I names. mean, we name names all the time. I mean, the most obvious would be someone like David French or Russell Moore oh, yeah. um, and Ed Stetzer. I mean, these are all kind of evangel- typical evangelical guys. There's other academic, like more academic guys who I- I'm, I'm not hostile to, but probably wouldn't agree with us, like Mark Tooley, I think is his name. Um, I'm not hostile to him at all, by the way, but I think that, that along the, the typical, I, I guess you could say to use a derogatory term like boomer conservatism is probably the more militant side of that is probably more hostile to what we, what sort of things we say. I, I, I'd say that, that, yeah, like Thomas and I are more paleocon. If, if you want to put us into a tradition, we're probably closest to a paleoconservative. 
Yeah, I think to me, uh, I can name some names, I suppose. But for me, one of the things I see happening, at least in the Reformed evangelical world especially, is that you have people who claim to stand in line with a bunch of past Protestants, a past Reformed tradition, and yet they're clearly moving in a, I would not even say leftward direction, but just they're they're flowing with whatever the culture is saying right now, and it happens to be a very leftward direction politically, and yet claiming to be Christian, Protestant, Reformed. I, I'm in the OPC, or I'm in the PCA, or whatever it is, and I'm Reformed. John Calvin is my predecessor, and I hold to this politically. And my, in my mind, I'm thinking, you either haven't read Calvin or you're rejecting Calvin. <laughs> and and it's not just Calvin. I'm just using that as an example. But part of what I see us doing is trying to not just not call that out so much as to bring to people who call themselves Reformed Protestants, uh, to bring to them their rich political heritage. Hmm. And and put that in front of them, and but also do it in a way that's relevant to things that are going on today generally. Yeah, and I think that generally speaking, we're excuse me. It's easy to be negative, but it's but generally speaking, we're we're pretty positive. I was thinking about this the other day. It's easy on Twitter and Facebook to be very negative and, and attack and and go in the attack mode. But mm-hmm. you've listened to you know our, our episodes. We we do try to construct something. We do try to apply. Uh, principles in a positive way, positive meaning, trying to, you know, affirm uh, good things and, and uh, not just critique, not just have a kind of sort of negative negativity the whole time. So, yeah, that's, that's huge. <laughs> Would Albert Mueller fall anywhere within your line of thinking? <laughs> uh, I'll let Thomas answer that. One. <laughs> uh, this he is, is known he's, as passing the buck. Thank you. Yeah, good he's example. the president. He's the president. For those of you who don't know, he's the president of my the seminary that I attended. So I, I've met him and his wife, uh, Mary Moeller, and I, I knew um, one of their children. So I uh, I like Al Moeller personally. Um, I think that I don't. I'll just say this. I'll put it the, the best way I could put it. Is I don't follow his um, his daily briefing. I, I gave it up a few years ago because I found that all that all that he would do in his approach would be to show the contradictions between the world and Christians, but he would provide nothing. He, he wouldn't provide much else forward. Mm. And, and so he would provide a lot of culture or, or it's like, it's like, I don't want to negatively critique him too much here, but it, it seemed to me to be a short, uh, a shortened cultural critique that was wanting and he wouldn't go f- much further. Now, I don't follow the campus politics very much of what's happening at Southern about whether he hired a woke prof or all this stuff. I've just kind of, I've left that. So I don't follow that much. Um, yeah. Okay. That's, that's fair. Very diplomatic answer. You know, you may have a future in politics, actually. That was, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. That reminds me of climate change. Thank you. Yeah. 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 yeah very good. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I've, I've, I'm, uh, well, I was just listening to the briefing this morning and I, I've got it in my podcast feed. I used to listen religiously every single mm-hmm. day to yeah, Al Mohler. Yeah. So f- for those listening who don't know, Al Mohler has a, a podcast called The Briefing in which he does. It's about, it used to be about 20 minutes. Now it's about 30 minutes of cultural commentary. And, you know, Thomas, what you said, I think is very true. He, 
he will he's very insightful at diagnosing a problem right but he, he oftentimes leaves it there and mm-hmm. i don't know him personally so i can say this i am often left wanting i i feel as though you know i get done with the the uh the episode and i i'm agitated and i'm worked up and i'm like man this is ridiculous i can't believe they're trying to mm-hmm. you know bring uh blm transvestite uh <laughs> storybook readers into my local public library <laughs> yeah but what do i do about it what do yeah, i do about right, it right and uh, right. so it sounds like you guys your philosophy towards political engagement is is you're trying to take it that next not only are you it seems like you're trying to come in on the right of al moeller and maybe and not only to the right but you know a few centuries back we can explain what paleoconservatism is but you're also trying to sort of complete the loop and and bring it around to a solution you're trying to build something constructive am i on the right track here i would say yes uh we're not trying to just single-handedly build something i would say there's a, there's a broader perspective here which is al moeller it's not just him there's a, con- a conservatism or what well, uh, steven said is boomer conservatism it's a passive uh, posture. It's a pat. It's it doesn't. It's, if you're conserving something, you're holding on, like a life. You're holding on to a life raft or something, or to you're holding on to the pieces of something that's falling apart. You're actually not actually, or you're not necessarily building something. And so I think if you are, if you actively want to be building something, you either have to be on the uh, on the left of uh, of politics today, because that's that's the people who are building things, culture. Um, or whatever it is, institutions, or you have to go somewhere else. And that's a little further to the right, at least politically. And we can, we can talk about what all that means, but yeah, so it's not necessarily like a, like a strategy. It's just, if you want to do something more than preserve, you have to promote that positive vision. And a lot of conservatives don't, they don't promote a positive vision of anything as a social good, for instance. And uh, that's not enough. We're really, we're, I think 2022 now we realize that merely holding on to the last remnants of things is a losing strategy uh, for all areas of life. Our, our families, bath, we've lost bathrooms now, schools a long time ago. It's just so, so many things we could point out. Yeah. And I think to follow that, I, I think one of the things that we want to emphasize is, is one, I think, firstly, a kind of a critique of uh, a, a sort of neutrality. And I, I don't mean that in a theological or, uh, but I, I mean, in the sense that like a, this sense that uh, like from a, almost like a, a classical, you can say classical liberal, liberal perspective, where uh, we need to have maximum toleration of, of difference um, and so that means our institutions that, that, that like our schools, our public schools, um, and all, just our, our culture itself has to be something that is, uh, widely or maximally tolerant. And I would say that's a sort of neutrality, but what, what that ends up doing is it, it ends up, uh, you end up, um, no longer loving, the place that you live. And if you do, it ends up being fundamentally changed and eradicated. And I think conservatives nowadays, the ones that are kind of starting to see what's happening 
with the left takeover is they're seeing that these institutions and just this uh, these uh, the assumptions about culture, uh, about a, a way of life, uh, decency, um, what's good and what's bad have been so kind of turned on their head that they're beginning to realize that, that institutions and in our kind of public space and culture has been taken over. Um, and that's, that's in part been because we've allowed that to happen because we've, I think in some ways we've shown goodwill. So if you have your typical conservative academic nowadays, will say, yeah, we need a broad, we need viewpoint diversity. And so you'll have these, these public institutions, uh, or private too. And, and you'll hire people who are live liberal or left. You'll say, well, we want a, a, a diversity of, of, of views and we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't, uh, you know, exclude people based on their views. And we, we, we seem to believe the left in the sixties and seventies when they were crying about free speech, yeah. um, when they, but when they took over these institutions, they actively want to exclude people who are to, to the right of, of, of liberal. Um, I mean, I, I was just reading about how Tim Keller of all people was, was, uh, I think it was 2017. He was denied a, an award from Princeton seminary of all, of all places. I mean, it's not surprising you go back 150, uh, you know, 120 years ago, and that seminary, well, I guess be more like 150, um, that was the, the the center of Reformed theology uh, in in United States. So um, you, you see how things once you allow one, uh, once you um, affirm this neutral, like this idea of neutrality, this idea of goodwill towards viewpoint uh, diversity, and that we sh- we should. We should. What, what's the line? I, and I don't do, agree with you, but I'll defend to death that yeah. you, can, you can affirm yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, that's just crazy. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's crazy. Um, I mean, there's so you don't agree things, with that? You think that's bad? That's bad policy. Well, I, I mean, there should be there should be some diversity in, in viewpoint. I'm, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be that. Is it, then you wouldn't dialogue at all. But there's mm-hmm. some things where you just say no. That, that's that's not allowed, and that's it. And, and but but that's just viewpoint too. That's on the on the on the plane of kind of intellectual thought. I I, I think that if if I mean I, I think Thomas could probably speak to this in more terms of experience because he's born and raised in the South and lived there his whole life, and I haven't really lived any place in whole life besides California, which has been taken over entirely. But um, but the. If if you have a people in a place and they're in a certain you know there's a locations a place and you, there's a characteristic to that there's a, a way of life there's a, a mutual understanding that kind of goes beyond words that's like mutually understood you, you can you un, you understand people by their gestures by the way they talk you understand what's expected when you go to their house. Um, all sorts of things that we just take for granted based upon these, these cultural norms. And if we, that's something worth protecting, but I think we have a tendency in something, I'm sorry, I'm talking so long, but the the thing that the Thomas, I like to emphasize is that this is a good thing and it needs to be protected. And and so we're trying to work out, well, how do you protect that? And what, what ways and what means can you protect that? Because this particularity is something that's good for us. And we can't just view our culture as something that just can can be, you know, fundamentally multicultural. Hmm. So, yeah. If if I may, gentlemen, I know we uh, we were going to talk about the myopsychosis, and it talks about the cultural ethos of the time. And back in the days of the '90s and '80s, when Alan Brew uh, in the University of Chicago wrote the closing of the American Mind, 
And he started the book off talking about the problem of relativism where every major college and university in the world, as every student coming in, is embracing some kind of relativistic notion of, of ethics. And that has shifted. Those students are now politi- uh, politicians and teachers and, and academics, and they're, they're pushing policy toward this inclusive policy, this tolerance toward everything. And the Atlantic Monthly astutely put forward an article about four years ago called The Death of Relativism, arguing that Alan Bloom's thought process was maybe true at the time, but the cultural ethos has shifted. It's no longer relativistic. It is absolutist or objectivist, but it's objectivist toward a particular type of of values. Tolerance, love, grace, peace, and, and excluding natural law, excluding ethics of absolutes in, in, in areas of sexuality, of, um, of standing up for personal integrity, of uh, the marriage institution, specifically in areas of ethics and religion. Um, so that has shifted the ball um, in, that, in that regard. I don't think it's a relativistic type of culture that's embracing tolerance. They're not embracing tolerance. They're intolerant towards certain points of view, and many of them are proud of it such as Twitter and others who are um, uh, jumping on the cancel culture bandwagon. Can we um, talk about that issue of this psychosis and how that applies to that? Yes, as you were talking, I was thinking of the term repressive tolerance. (laughs) Repressive tolerance. Mm. And that's a term that, uh, who was it that came up with this? Uh, Haber Marcuse. Uh, the, of the Frankfurt School, I think, in the Critique of Pure Tolerance, um, 1965, I believe, if I can remember. It basically, the idea is we do want to tolerate. We are we are going to tolerate because we, we are open-minded, but we're open-minded towards open-mindedness, not closed-mindedness. We're going to tolerate what's tolerable, not what's intolerable. And so this idea of repressive tolerance, it's basically, in my opinion, it's just a bunch of word games to say what you were uh, saying here a second ago. Um, we're, we're not actually going to be tolerant. We're going to be intolerant towards the people who deserve to be shoved out of society. And we're going to be tolerant towards people who are like us. So it's amazing to me, just to give an analogy, People will often say of, of this persuasion of this mindset will often be very open, open-minded, broad-minded, tolerant of new ideas, so long as those ideas look and think and walk and talk exactly like me, <laughs> and and are like everybody can come to our multicultural paradise so long as they are multicultural, <laughs> you know. And so it it is this weird inversion and twist and, and play of words that you can find in books like 1984. And uh, that hideous strength and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Lugudko, the the Polish philosopher, that's how you say his name, right? Lugudko. He uh, <laughs> he has this line sounds, in his book, the, the Demon in Democracy," where he says that that liberalism allows anyone to hold anything they want as long as it's liberalism. Mm. Yeah, it's like Henry Henry Ford. He said, "You can have you can have one of my you know vehicles in any color you want, so long as it's black." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so the um, the multicultural, maximally tolerant society that we were promised in the '90s uh, was a ruse. Yes, it, was yes. it was it intentionally a yeah. ruse? Was it, um, you know, w- was this a political game that was being played, like a, a bait and switch, um, or is this just is it some you know was it 
promulgated in good faith. And it's just when you go down a certain path, there is you find that there are no breaks. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? Is the repressive tolerance of today a just a natural thing that happened as a result of walking down a particular ideological path? Or was this always the the end game? What do you guys think? I mean, I, I would say I, I, it's hard to know because it, there's it's it's such a kind of varied um, group of people who who push this. But I, I I'll just say I, I don't I don't I generally don't trust the left at all. I, I think they're all uh, out for power. Well, how can you? And say I, that? Think they're, I think they're I think they're unprincipled. Yeah. Well, I, that that's one of the problems with the conservatives. I think <laughs> is that they they have. In principle, they have this goodwill, and they extend it to people who don't deserve that that goodwill, or at least that. I, I mean, everyone deserves a good goodwill in a sense, but but to, to be trusted and to be taken at their word, I think that that's extremely foolish to do that. And I think that that's proven to be correct. I mean, it's just that they they now well, they're just relativists. So that that was like the whole all the worldview studies of Christian of like within evangelical fundamentalist um, Christian circles was relativism, relative. But I mean, it, I think it just turns out that that all those people use that as a way to just kind of deconstruct and critique. Uh, and, and but once they took over, yeah, they just started to exclude. But the, the thing, the thing I was trying to point out earlier is that um, they're not. In, I, I don't think they're entirely wrong in, in the sense that, that that they want to they have that they want to exclude what they think is damaging. I think that principle is right. So I, I think the tendency of conservatives is to say, well, you know, again, uh, again, again you, you can say it and I'll defend your right to say it or, to, you know, affirm it and speak it publicly. I think that's just, that's strong. Uh, and we should be, I think conservative, conservatives want to conserve anything. They have to stand up and say, no, that's not going to be here. That's not going to happen. Uh, and we're not going to let it happen. And using the power that they have, unfortunately, conservatives don't have any power anywhere anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think, but the places where conservatives, well, the places that conservatives do have power, I think they should be very careful about who they allow in, because th there is that. I think there is legitimate concern about people who hold th th they'll affirm the theological, like in seminaries, they'll affirm the theological uh, conf confessions or the doctrinal statement, whatever it is. But at the same time, they're the sort of people who would be on, on the on the hiring committee who would bring someone in just to the left of them and then yeah. to the left of them until it moves all the way, becomes like a sort of Princeton Seminary um, situation. So I think there is legitimate concern to to root out people who are kind of squishy, um, you know, the, the squishes, and, and make sure people uh, – there, there's the old line that if – if uh, any institution that is not explicitly right wing will eventually become left wing. Right. And uh, that's as a rule of thumb, I think that's true. Um, and so you have to be willing to say no. So here's a question then, because you mentioned Princeton and, and Princeton's come up a few times in this conversation. Was it Jay Gresham Machen who left Princeton and started the started Westminster? Was that was that Machen? I believe so. Yeah, you guys are historically minded. Yeah, Stephen, you're you're a good presby, don't you? Uh, I I should know that history, either. but I'm uh, I, I didn't I wasn't born and raised Presbyterian. <laughs> oh, that's that. true. But yeah, I, true. I mean, I, I think that's right. So I mean, Pr Princeton Seminary, uh, 
became became kind of uh kind of liberalized yeah and that's when that's when the 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 seminary in philadelphia was started yeah yeah well so yeah and you go ahead so i was going to say you mentioned machen he actually he just wrote wrote a book about christianity and liberalism Mm -hmm. and one of the things he talks about in that book uh, i'd have to have it on my shelf here but he he mentions how there there is something happening that's not straightforward with with liberalism back then in the early 1900s and i would say still today and it's i mentioned it earlier i called it word games you can call it deception or whatever and i don't i don't think there's any one central governing agency uh making people do this but the nice yeah 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 <laughs> the right, National right. Institute of coordinated Experiment. that's right that's right it's coordinated that, from that but, but the, the game is though to use to wear the skin you know to to basically infiltrate conquer slaughter and wear the skin of an institution so it looks christian it talks christian yeah. but it's not christian that's grotesque yeah it uses the same words faith resurrection life salvation god jesus mm-hmm. but but speaking about what machen was talking about uh, theological liberalism it, his whole point in that book was this it's not it's not that they've gotten christian christianity wrong it's that this is an entirely different religion yeah. it's wearing the skin of Christianity, but it's not Christian. So I don't know what in, if there's something inherent in the mechanism of liberalism that causes people to do that, but it is ubiquitous. It is pervasive everywhere. And And it's it's ancient too. Uh, I just read through Ezra and Nehemiah. And when the exiles returned from Babylon, they arrive in Jerusalem and they're greeted by the Samaritan people, Samarian people, essentially they, these are uh, hybridized people from many different nations and they've been transplanted there in Judah, uh, probably from a, a mixture of the Assyrian takeover and then the subsequent Babylonian takeover. But these people are there in the area of Jerusalem and they approach the Jewish exiles who have now returned yeah. and they say, oh, we're so glad you're here. We too worship right. your God. Right. And I love the response of Ezra. This is before Nehemiah enters the picture. And Ezra turned out to not be as strong of a leader as one would have hoped. But um, but they go, get out of here. You <laughs> you are paying, essentially, you're paying lip service to our God, but you're not really worshiping him. You guys are pagans. You're unrepentant pagans. You're, you're steeped in this pagan ideology, and you're not going to have any part whatsoever in us rebuilding this temple. And, you know... It, Talk about a lack of tolerance and a lack right. of, uh, you know, diversity. Ezra didn't go, well, I disagree with how you interpret our religion, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll defend <laughs> to the death your right to, yeah. to say. He's like, no, get out yeah. of here. And then you've got Nehemiah who comes on later, later and is pulling out people's beards and smacking them in the face for intermarrying with these people. You know, um, so my point is this impulse of of pagan religion and, and non-Christian sub-biblical ideas to masquerade itself as true religion it's mm-hmm. as old as it's as old as the old testament right yeah yeah yay yay hath goth said you know the very first thing was That's was right. a, a, dis- yeah. a dis- dispute of words and what what the meaning of words meant were so yeah Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode. 
The Think Podcast is a production of The Think Institute and is produced by yours truly, Joel Sedeckes. The Think Institute operates under Church Movements, a ministry of Crew under the division of Crew City. To learn about how to support The Think Institute and my family tax-free, go to thethink.institute slash partner. I hope you heard something helpful today. I know I did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a short stop on the journey as we learn to lead our families in defending the Christian message. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I hope it made you think. Music